Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the January 23rd, 2024 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, my guest, Dr. Dana Mukamel. She's an economist and she's a professor at the UCI School of Medicine. She'll be talking about her findings about the quality of nursing home care in the December 2023 Health Services Research Journal. So let's start the show now. My guest for the full hour is Dr. Dana Mukamel, PhD here, to report on her recently published findings in Human Health Services Research about the quality of care in our nation's nursing homes. Really important work. I really do appreciate what she's investigating. We do this kind of programming. I keep revisiting the topic because I figure we owe it to our elders, to our elders' families, and to our elders' caregivers. I would venture to say that Dr. Mukamel is a Renaissance woman in a really good position to evaluate the setting that is the nursing home in the U.S. She's a professor at the Department of Medicine and director of the ITEQC, ITEC Research Program. She holds appointments in public health and nursing and is affiliated with the UCI Mirage School of Business. Prior to joining UCI, she was on the faculty at the University of Rochester Medical Center. Dr. Mukamel completed her Master's of Science in Technology and Policy from MIT and PhD in Economics from the University of Rochester. Her research focuses on issues related to quality of care in acute and long-term care settings, both methodological issues related to measurement of quality and empirical studies designed to offer insights into policy, market, and provider characteristics that contribute to provision of high-quality care. She's developed methods to measure quality nursing homes and community-based long-term care programs based on risk-adjusted health outcomes, such as risk-adjusted decline in functional status and pressure ulcers. That's where when people don't get moved around in their beds enough, it becomes a wound. Her studies have examined the role of competition, regulation, report cards, and other factors in provision of high-quality care. Her extensive research program is funded by grants from federal agencies, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, the National Institutes of Aging, the National Institute of Nursing Research, and the Veterans Administration, the PCORI, and private foundations. Recently, she expanded her work to include the development of sophisticated decision aids, taking advantage of big data and preference elicitation techniques to enhance the capabilities of patients, providers, and policymakers to make better decisions consistent with individual medical needs and preferences. Dr. Mukamel serves on several centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Task Forces, has served on the editorial board of the American Journal of Public Health, and as an editor of the Journal of Health serves Research Outcomes and Methodology, and serves as well on many national advisory and review boards for organizations such as the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, National Institute of Health, the Veterans Administration, and MedPAC. Dr. Mekamel received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Public Health Association for work on quality of long-term care. 
She comes to us today from her office in Irvine. We are recording this on January 18th. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Dr. Dana Makamel. Thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me. Well, first, the words we choose. It's really important here, and I think you know that even better than I'm going to imagine. Your preference, Dr. Mokamel, for referring to the person and the place, since the person is pathologized so much, that person in a nursing home, and I want to know what you refer to as the place. If it's a, it's a facility, it's a home, a residence. So help us with our vocabulary before we get this whole thing rolling. Well, we typically refer to these places as nursing homes. Sometimes we call them facilities, but mostly nursing homes. But we don't call the people who stay there patients because for the most part, these are individuals, especially those who stay there for the long term, stay there for the rest of their lives. We call them long stay residents because for them, it really becomes their home. They will be there for the rest of their lives. So this is their home. Sometimes they even bring in pieces of furniture from their home to make it more homey, so to speak, if they can. And they have social activities there. They have it's not just about the, the medical, the clinical part of the care as it would be in a hospital. Uh, there are a lot of aspects to their stay there that are really uh, more residential. Their family comes to visit them, friends come to visit them. It really needs to feel, a good nursing home needs to feel like a home. Now, it's important to recognize that these days they're also what we call short-stay patients in a nursing home. And those are people who typically would have arrived in a nursing home from a hospital after surgery, typically like a hip replacement or a knee replacement or cancer treatment and require a lot of very intensive rehabilitation care. So those individuals typically would stay in the nursing home for a very short period that is measured in weeks, like one, two, three weeks perhaps, for what we call post-acute care. So you have these two types of very different individuals in the same nursing home, the short-stay post-acute patients, but then you also have the long-stay residents who have typically physical disabilities, uh, many of them between 40 to 50% dementia. And for those individuals, we really view them as residents. And that's really a very important distinction because we want the staff, the people who care for them in a nursing home, to think about them not as patients, but rather as individuals who have their own personalities and preferences, who may care about what time they want to wake up in the morning. Uh, do they want to take a shower in the morning or in the evening? Uh, how do, what preferences they have about their food? And that's why it's so important to think about them as residents rather than as patients. 
that you captured so many different things I want to cover with you today. So um, we'll get to that part about the, you know, the factors in improving that quality. But before we go though further, I just want to sort of make a public service announcement out of your reference to how one can take the liberty of appointing a residence room in a nursing home. And is there a variation? It's, this isn't this is way below your pay scale, but is there a variation in what nursing homes allow in what you can appoint in a residence nursing home room? Well, unfortunately, there's a huge variation in terms of nursing homes. Many of them will not allow it. Uh, the better ones, may have the space and the ability to accommodate that many of them would not. So it really depends on the specific nursing home. I don't want to create the impression that any nursing home that you would walk into would allow you to bring your own bed and your own comfy chair. Uh, that's really not the typical nursing home. Okay. Like I yeah, like imagining like somebody has maybe some art or they have it's things that define them that are cues for the care to right. respond to that personalize every resident for really important reasons. Right. So the better nursing homes, I would hope, do allow it. But it really depends on the nursing home. So, and, you know, my advice to those who are looking for a nursing home for a loved one, before you decide on which nursing home you go to, go talk to the administrator and see if they would allow for that. Okay. Because that's really, really important. Okay, thank you. I didn't even know that we'd get to that, and I, I know that from, from past experience with some of this. So the reason, Dr. Mokamel, you have selected nursing homes as a study area because of the sheer number. This is where the proportion of seniors, so many of them that are not staying in place in their own homes, this is why, is it not? It's the sheer number is why you're studying nursing homes, residents. Yeah, it's an important part of, you know, the, the majority of, of elders do not end up in a nursing home. But those who do, the care quality is something that we worry about. Okay. And that's why I study it. It is a sector of elder housing where there is the largest potential for involving uh, in for improving care overall is that that can be said yes absolutely okay so your study is in capturing data from 2017 to 2019 to avoid covid's confounding features however how might you resume your research i mean do you need to go is there is going to be other factors you're going to be studying but do you have to sort of start with another, a different time frame? How is that going to work? Because you're not done. You're, you're telling us in your publication, and we all know that all these things are works in progress. So what is going to be your source for new data in your investigations, Dr. Mokamel? Well, all the data that we are using in the kind of research that I'm doing is national data that we do not collect. These are data that are being obtained by the federal government as part of their routine business of paying and regulating nursing homes. And they make the data available to people like me, to researchers. So 
that's what we do. We get, and there are advantages to these. These are national data. So we are able to actually study all nursing homes in the country, which there are about 16,000 of them. And they serve about 1.6 million nursing home residents. The data that we use are being collected routinely in nursing home required to submit them to the federal government. And it's really a treasure trove, if you think about Mm -hmm. it, of information about all these nursing homes. And that's what we do because we use a lot of complex statistics to study these data. And we we can get at a lot of interesting and important information about how these nursing homes operate and how they deal with their their residents and the patients. But because we want to get at all nursing homes in the country, there is also a limitation to that. We are limited by the information that is collected by the government. So there are some questions that we can answer. There are some questions that we cannot answer. There are questions that have to be answered by going into the nursing home and collecting additional information. So those are the kind of studies that I don't do, that I leave to other researchers who do a different kind of studies. But the point with respect to your question about COVID is that the data collection uh, has continued during COVID. Correct. So the data exists and it continues today. I mean, this is just part of the normal data collection that the federal government does. The reason that we stayed away from it was because we understood that COVID years were not normal operation years. Everybody who was listening to the news knew that uh, there were a lot of issues with nursing homes during COVID. They couldn't get the preventive equipment uh, that people needed, like masks and uh, other equipment. They first, all of those, all this equipment first went to hospitals, and nursing homes were last in the line to get it. So as a result, and on top of that, residents in nursing homes live, uh, I mean, it's all communal living. So they're very crowded, and we know that COVID loves that. Mm-hmm. People, right? Uh, people get it's an infectious disease. So nursing homes were breeding areas for uh, for COVID, and unfortunately, there were a lot of people who got COVID in nursing home, and a lot of people who died in nursing home, both uh, residents and staff. And clearly, those were, there's no point in I mean, if you're trying to study what happens during an epidemic like it, you should study nursing homes. And indeed, there were a lot of researchers who did studies of COVID in nursing homes. And those studies have been published. You can look in the literature, and there's a lot of about it. But in studies that are focusing on questions that have to do with the normal operations, Questions that have to do with understanding what happens to quality of care day in and day out in a nursing home under normal 
condition, which is really what I'm interested in, so that we can change and improve the day-to-day operation, not what happens within the, the two years of an epidemic, but what can we do to improve care on a regular basis. On purpose, I didn't want to look at what data for the COVID years. So that was the reason we stayed away from that. I understood. And, and now, so now we just, you know, we'll just skip the COVID years and we'll start with data for 2023, 2024, et cetera. So that's we where just, you start. Okay. Onward. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just skip those years. Now, that is not to say, I mean, there are things now that are systematic and we have to take into account. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, after COVID, there is a major shortage of nurses. A nurse's assistant, and that's probably going to plague us for the coming years. So that's something that we will have to study. So it's sort of one of the impacts of COVID, but it's no longer. But that's now part of the regular day-to-day yes. operation that yes. we will be studying. So one thing, Dr. Mokamel, I, I just wanted to point out when you were talking about because of the regulation of these residences, these nursing homes, that yeah. that they're, first it's about oversight, but it's the benefit also is, so it's not just monitoring, but it's measurement by academics who can see important trends and indicators. So that's when people badmouth regulation, they, they need to be a little less facile with that uh, criticism. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is... Dana Muckamill, PhD. Her interests are in quality of care, long-term care, risk-adjusted outcomes. We'll talk to a little bit racial disparities, health economics, and quality report cards. She's speaking today about her recent findings in the Health Services Research Journal published December 2023 in collaboration with Heather Ladd, Deborah Saliba, and Tamara Konetska. So I'd like to have you explain the I guess you're you're already talking a little bit about the the outcomes. So I submit that one outcome is how closely nursing homes abide by the residents' care instructions. And so I want to know if that's one of those measurements. Is it known in the the data that the feds are keeping? You know what you know, dealing with resuscitation, any kind of heroic, any kind of intervention using is that. Is that something that you look at carefully in quality of care? Well, all the outcomes that we've looked at, and you mentioned just a few minutes ago, report cards, these are all outcomes that are being monitored or measured rather than monitored, measured by the federal government and reported on its report cards. Uh, I don't know if your listeners are aware that the federal government has been publishing now for probably two decades, since 2002, report cards about the quality. It started with nursing homes. That's how I got involved. Mm-hmm. And it's called Nursing Home Care Compare, and it's on the web. And anybody can go and take a look at it, and every nursing home in the country can be found there and you can find the performance information about the performance of every nursing home in terms of all these outcomes outcomes like for example 
activities of daily living. So it tells you activities of daily living are, are things like the ability of uh, residents to dress themselves or to bathe themselves or to eat by themselves. Uh, there's information about what percent of residents receive uh, antipsychotic medications, which are not a good thing for residents. Yes. And uh, very few should receive it. So the higher the number, the worse it is. And what happens in nursing home is that, you know, it's like we call it a chemical restraint. Some of the residents who are agitated or, and that's true, for example, for people with dementia, who are agitated or um, have anxiety exhibit uh, difficult behavior. So the easiest thing to do is to give them antipsychotic drugs and that sort of you know, quiets them down. But that's not the, the best thing to do. What you want to do is treat them with behavioral interventions. But that requires a training by uh, the staff staff needs to know what to do, it takes more time, and it's much easier for the nursing home to just drug them. So uh, antipsychotic percent of residents on antipsychotic is one of the outcomes that is being measured. Uh, another one is pressure source, which I think you mentioned beforehand. Yes. Um, that happens when, when the staff doesn't make sure that people who are not mobile, like somebody who's bedbound, they need to be turned very often. Otherwise, the skin deteriorates, and that can be very painful and, again, very bad for the uh, resident. Things like hospitalization, again, that's for people who are in a nursing home, is not a good idea and should be avoided if at all possible because moving them to a different environment is confusing. In a hospital, they go, don't get the same treatment as they would in a nursing home. They don't get moved out of the bed. They can develop pressure sores. They can get delirium. So there's a whole host of such outcomes. There are probably 20 or more such outcomes, mm. and all of those are reported in the report card. And in fact, the report card also provides a five-star rating okay. for each nursing home, sort of like a zagat for right. nursing homes. Right. So it's very helpful for people who need to choose a nursing home if they wish. We as researchers use these quality measures, which have been reviewed and developed by experts on care for residents with nursing homes, and there are separate ones for the long-stay patients that I mentioned and for the short-stay patients that I mentioned. So as I said, these are collected, the data, the information are collected by the federal government, and from that data, they calculate uh, these outcome measures. Before I break down in some, a lot of these factors that are really interesting, I wanted to have you explain the important sort of variations in the different residences of patient populations and the proportion of them that do have Alzheimer's dementia, how that would confound staff members responding overall or and that there's a spillover effect if there is some elevated attention to Alzheimer's 
patients and, and its quality attention that the spillover effects can help the general population that even those that don't have dementia. So you, there's this kind of formula of the actual populations in any nursing home we could think of in the U.S. Right. We call that case mix or risk adjustment. And that's something that goes into the, because obviously, depending on what are the clinical issues or the medical issues, residents or the patients that you have in the nursing home, that's going to determine what kind of care they need and therefore what kind of staff training they need and what kind of outcomes they're going to have eventually. So when we're talking about people with dementia, they typically require more care and more specialized care compared to people who do not have dementia. And it really depends also on the severity of the dementia. As they become more and more severe, some of their limitations are similar are physical, and those are similar to those of people without dementia. For example, they may have limitations with activities of daily living. They mm -hmm. may have difficulties dressing themselves or bathing or eating by themselves. And it's a progressive disease. The worse, the longer they have the disease, the more difficulty they're going to have performing all those functions. At the same time, they're also going to have difficulty understanding and communicating exactly. with other people. Right. So, and that's not in the beginning, but later on, as the disease progresses, that they start having more and more difficulty communicating. So, for example, if they are in pain and somebody and the caregiver asks them, are you in pain? Tell me what's painful they may not be able to answer the question like another patient might. So the caregiver might think that, you know, everything is hunky-dory, right? That they are really have no pain. But the resident may, will be in pain and will continue to be in pain because nobody is helping them. They might be cold and nobody is thinking, and it won't occur to them that they need to put a sweater on and nobody is giving them a sweater to put on. It's all those things that they can't do for themselves, and they can't communicate to somebody that, that they are cold, and therefore somebody needs to help to do something to fix it or to raise the, ther the thermostat. The other thing that is problematic with patients with dementia is that they tend to get lost in the environment. If they go out of their room... Uh, they would wander, and they may not know where they are, and they will not be able to go back to their room. So they may just go out of the nursing home building and, you know, just get lost. So that's another issue. And all of this causes anxiety and agitation and may result in uh, behavioral problems. Some of them may become very aggressive. Now, if you have staff that has not been uh, trained or educated 
to understand all of these issues for uh, residents with dementia, they will not know how to address them, how to talk to them. They will not understand what's going on with these residents. So they will not be able to help them. They will not be able to, if, if, for example, if a resident becomes aggressive, they will not understand what the reason is behind it. And rather than helping them and talk them down and calm them down, you know, they will think that it is that the person is aggressive against them. So the, the, the interaction between the caregiver and the resident suffers. So and it I... really doesn't need to if the caregiver has received the proper education and the training to understand what's going on. And what, can I just want to put in there while okay. you're talking about that? So uh, every sure, sure. outcome, every negative outcome that you're talking about, Doctor Mukamel, is that it has so many. What clinically it, you refer to as cascading effects, but it has like there's interpersonal consequences with other residences. It's the yeah. the, the person's own the resident who's having some of the aggressive behavior or is disoriented and all, that agitation can drive clinical outcomes that make their life, that make their whole disposition uh, uh, degrade so, uh, so significantly. So I just wanted for people to hear, okay, that occurs, but it'll confound a lot of uh, dispositions, the residents themselves, all the other residents, and, and confound also the ones working at the place. So I just wanted to have everybody look at it as being a lot more unwieldy a problem than it's just, you know, this person's one particular situation. Well, I, with your permission, I'd like Absolutely. to I'd like to break down all these factors. They're fascinating to me, and I want to have people think about it. There's the interpersonal dynamic itself. It's, it's something that was sort of hinted at in the summer that that got me thinking a lot from my own kinds of experiences around geriatrics. And I, I, Dr. Mukamel, I've, I've coined an expression, I call it geriatricizing, not infantilizing, but <laughs> taking a scene, yeah. taking an elder and that interpersonal dynamic factor, they're geriatricizing them really, it's such a toxic way of interacting with the resident. And I, I don't know if that's, uh, I'm going to list all the factors and you can tell us which ones you want to spend the most time on or maybe prioritize them. So there's the interpersonal dynamics, caregiver and resident. There's the backgrounds of both caregiver and resident. Their socioeconomic, their demographics. This is where some of the racial disparities could be coming into play. You've talked a little bit about training as a factor and compensation. That, that interests me a great deal because we're seeing some major labor inroads in the last year, and maybe that is going to improve things at the nursing home situation. There's, I don't know if there's a regional factor of particular states where residences are located. There's the ownership of nursing homes. They're not all the same. Some of them have more benevolent bottom line, more benevolent charters than others. There's the, the factor of the families or the friends' presence around the nursing home. It might be known as a squeaky mm -hmm. wheel. And finally, the presence and availability of a social worker. I don't know if that's only in skilled nursing facilities or board and care, or if social workers still are a thing. 
as an intermediary between the resident, the family, and the staff. So take any of those factors and help us know what, what's the most important and how they're, how they're looking right now in 2024. Well, first of all, let me say that they're all intertwined. They're all interconnected. Now, the regional part is different state by state because of the financing. Mm -hmm. Some states are more because of the financing and the regulation. Some states, most nursing homes are funded by Medicaid, which is different from Medicare. A lot of people think that Medicare covers nursing home care, but that's inaccurate. Medicaid, especially long-term care, nursing home care, for which is where people with dementia would fit. That's covered uh, unless the individual has their own private resources, which the majority of people would not have because it's very expensive. So most people will be covered by Medicaid, which is basically state funds for people who do not have their own funds uh, to cover the cost. And this is typically is the one of the largest expense for most states. And so as you can imagine, states are not uh, too happy with it. And some states are going to be very, uh, what's the word, uh, cheap. <laughs> Uh, and deprived. are going to pay yeah. very little to nursing homes. Uh-huh. And that's one of the problems with nursing home care, that nursing homes do not receive, in my opinion at least, there's just not enough money in the system to pay for the care that nursing home residents really need. And with states where the payment is not sufficient, uh, the regulation is also lax because the regulators, which are also part of the state, recognize that there's just so much that they can request. Now, in terms of ownership, the vast majority, about 85%, are for-profit enterprises. Unlike hospitals in this country that, for the most part, are non-profit, for nursing homes, they are mostly for-profit. And, you know, as the name suggests, uh, they are there to make money. And numerous studies have shown that quality of care in nursing homes is lower in for-profit than in non-profit hospitals. On top of that, in recent years, and that's true not just for nursing homes, there is now a trend of private equity. Exactly. uh, Buying in. Yeah, buying into equity. I'm sorry, buying into uh, healthcare businesses and basically just try holding them for like five years or so, getting as much money as they can out of it to the detriment of the care that they provide. So I think in the next few years, I don't think things will get any better in nursing homes because of that. Does the actual, um, I'm going to go back to the card, the nursing home care compared, does it flag which ones are owned in which ways? Is that one way we could take a, get an easy yes. look at that? Okay. Yes, this is a new addition. Oh. Now, I don't know, well, 
I know it's available to researchers. I would, yes, if not in the public domain. Well, sometimes uh, these things are hard to find out. Just now done. Okay, okay. Pardon me, I just... Yeah. So, and then the family member's presence, is that something that is detailed? That I would, I think, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen any studies on this, but I would bet that that's going to be crucially important because if you have a family member that's there that's coming in regularly and watches over their loved one, I'll bet you that the staff will pay more patient, more attention to that person and will make sure that that person gets more than other residents. So I think that that's probably very, very important. I think that's also important for the resident him or herself because, you know, just the love and the care that they get from a family member that, you know, just as you know, as you and I and everybody else knows, it's important to know that you're loved and somebody cares for you, right? And the stimulation. Yes. Yeah. So, and I was just going to repeat what I said beforehand. For the staff to know that somebody watches over that person, and if somebody, if something goes wrong, or if that person doesn't get what they need to get, there will be somebody who would go and, you know, bang on the table of the administrator and demand that they do get what they need. I think that's important. Dr. Mukamil, are social workers present at nursing homes? No, no. So it's only in those other facilities, like a skilled nursing facility or something, because I, I found them to be a really Kidnapping. important... Skilled, skilled nursing facilities are nursing homes. No, I'm saying I've seen them in skilled nursing facilities. I'm not sure about board and care, but um, so, but not nursing oh, homes. Oh, really? So, yes. I'm, but, okay. I, so what about the backgrounds, the sort of interplay of difference? Let's say there's a socioeconomic, a demographic, ethnicity, similarity or difference. No. How? Let's t unpack that as much as you would like to for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Studies have shown that nursing homes that have more people with, uh, of what, with racial, more residents who are of racial minorities, for example, tend to have lower quality. We don't find, for example, that there is discrimination between residents within the same nursing home. But there is discrimination or different levels of quality across nursing homes who have different percent of residents, of minority residents. Or if the nursing homes are in different areas, those who are in areas that are more affluent would tend to have better quality on average than those who are in areas of lower affluence. And that's probably related to the fact that those who are in more affluent area or have fewer minorities have more what we call private patients because not everybody is on Medicaid or they may be on Medicaid later during their stay because they start their stay on private pay, which means that they pay much more out of pocket. And then only when they sort of run out of their money, their own money, then they become Medicaid eligible 
and the nursing home staff getting the lower rates for Medicaid. And they know so the, that. The nursing, yeah, yeah, they would know that. Yeah. They know that, so. Yeah. Well. In fact, the nursing home, when they consider whether to accept somebody to the nursing home or not, they usually do a financial analysis of the person's financial situation. So they know ahead of time how many months that person would be on private pay and how many months they would be, how long it would take before they become Medicaid eligible. It seems reasonable that a business can, needs to be able to plan, but it's certainly, it sounds like there's a, a real putting a finger on the scale, though, about how they treat each and every different resident. It's not fair. It's it's a reasonable thing, but it's it doesn't sound fair if people are aware of the. It's like a like a barcode on every resident, right? Yeah. Uh, well, we don't have a fair healthcare system. That's true, not just with nursing homes. That's true throughout our healthcare system. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Dr. Dana Mukamel. Her interest in quality of care, you're hearing her talk about long-term care, we're talking about her recently published piece in the Health Services Research Journal, December 2023. And so we're talking about factors. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about if some interpersonal dynamics. I mean, I've met clinical researchers around UCI who say they just smile and they say, geriatrics is my jam. And they're people who just come to geriatrics. They they love it. It's I mean you can see the endorphins surging, you know, they but that so that drives a very positive interpersonal dynamic. But how can you reach into how that dynamic is manifest at the nursing homes? I mean, we're not talking just about training, we're talking about you know, the hiring, the culture of any given nursing home? Well, I, I wish that was true. You know, uh, I deal mostly with the data, so I don't know how much of that really goes on in nursing homes. I suspect that the professionals who work at the high level, like the administrator and the RNs, the nurses, that's probably true for them. After all, they chose to work in those places. But the people who provide the day-to-day -day care, what we call the certified nurses assistants, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those are individuals who uh, have very limited training and I'm not sure how much their choice of workplace is driven by the love of the work. It's very hard work. And one of the most difficult issues that we have with nursing homes is what is called turnover, where people, where the staff turns over a lot. There are nursing homes that have over 100% turnover in a year. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I know. It's shocking. And there have been, I, I don't know, and this is not a new phenomenon. You know, we have studies going back to the 1980s that are already talking about it. 
And there have been numerous studies that have shown that it's very bad for quality of care. And you can imagine, I mean, this is, you don't need to do a study to figure it out. Because if one day you have one person coming to take care of you and the next day there's another person who you've never seen before and doesn't know you and doesn't know what you care about and what ails you and I mean, obviously that's not good. And that person, the new person probably doesn't know where the supplies are and how this particular nursing home does things. It can't possibly be good. And when turnover is so high, it's no wonder that, you know, the residents suffer. And just recently, we developed a new measure which has to do, in our studies we've shown, it's not related to turnover. It captures a completely different aspect of quality, and we call it instability of labor, which has to do with absenteeism, with people just not showing up to work. And again, it's the same issue if you don't, if some of your staff just doesn't show up to work every Monday and Thursday, you know, you're going to be short. You're not going to have enough people to take care of the residents. And that affects quality in a different way. And, you know, the people that you didn't take care of today because you didn't have enough people to turn over in their bed and they develop the pressure sores. If tomorrow you have more staff, you can't fix it, you know, a pressure sore that was developed. Or if somebody, you know, rang to be taken to the bathroom and there was nobody answering the bell and therefore they went by themselves and fell and broke a leg, the leg is already broken. So that's a real, real problem that nursing homes have. And this is actually now a new measure, not the instability, but the turnover is now being, is now introduced into the quality report cards as well. So when people are choosing a nursing home, they can look at turnover in addition to the other outcome measures. And this is the most important part of the the report is you're talking about the sort of a standard measure is hours per resident that, you know, that factor. And so with this instability and the turnover, it's paring down how many hours one resident in a nursing home is going to get. And that's that is in your study. And I I wait until we're almost done here that to get to that. That (laughs) is the most salient thing is that you're keeping your eye on hours well, per patient with with all these other factors that are the other variables. Well, you know, this is actually a measure that I don't like because oh. just counting the bodies, what if all the staff just stand by the cooler and gossip or smoke or whatever it is that they do or drinks tea and doesn't take care of the residents? You know, just because you have a complement of staff of a certain number, it doesn't assure you that they actually do what they need to do. That's why I like the outcome measure. Okay. But not everybody agrees with me. There are other people who say that you can gain the outcome measures and they just look at the staffing. So, you know, everybody has their pet 
measure. But I took you at your um, word with the time with the patient, I, or with the resident. See, I made that mistake. I'm sorry for pathologizing those residents out there. But, but uh -huh. I, I took the, at face value that hours per resident was with them. It wasn't somewhere else down the hallway. So that's, you're saying that is well, a problem. No, we do not have a way of actually measuring it. Oh, that's horrible. So the, the way we measure it is, you know, you have a, a nursing home who hires nurses who are employed as direct care nurses. So we know that these are not administrative nurses. So that's good. We know that okay. much. But all we know that their job is to take care of the patient. Okay? That much we know. But. We don't, nobody, you know, there are no cameras to actually look at what they are actually doing. All we know is that they are hired full time and there are so many hours in the day. And we actually know better than that because it used to be really lousy data. Now we actually have payroll data. So the data is okay. pretty, pretty good. So that's good. But we just don't know. I mean, and you don't know what's the quality of these stents. You know, there are so many. I mean, there are people who always ask, what's the quality of the nurses or what's the quality of the certified aides? And, you know, we talk about their training. And, I mean, do they actually know what they're doing? We don't know that. Right. I mean, there are so many. These measures are so gross. But, you know, it's the best we have. We still can tell that, you know, in nursing homes, I mean, it's always better to have more staff than less. I would agree with that, no doubt. I'd like to push back on the thought. I don't know that you're serious about whether monitoring with the camera. I would think that would make it a very toxic workplace to work in, and oh, it yeah. would capture yeah. the, the resident, and nobody wants all that data, that sticky, sticky track in monitoring. So, yeah, I'm sure that was... I agree. You were just I saying agree. that for the sake I'm of argument. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that, of course. I'm also saying that just to look at staffing levels is not enough. No. That's my point. Right. I, that is so, so very clear. Well, so professionals, more often than not, take up work that addresses issues they've encountered in their personal life. How did you come into this field of research, if you don't mind telling us? No, I don't mind telling you. Um, I sort of fell into it. I was always interested in quality of care and in quality measures. And when I started my work, nursing homes were the first sector, so to speak, where there was actually data the nursing home care compare was the first quality report card. Well, actually, no, now that I think back here, you see, I'm, I have to think back many years. Uh, when I did my PhD dissertation, I was in New York State at the time. Mm -hmm. In Rochester. And New York, yeah. And New York State developed a data set that was a precursor to the data set that are now being used uh, by the federal government to collect the data that allow the calculation of all these outcome measures. And I was able to get that data and uh, do my part of my PhD dissertation on it. So that was sort of my 
intro into it. I did part of my dissertation on that and the other part on hospital quality measures. And then, and I published a paper, which was the very first paper on this topic. And then things just sort of followed from that. CMS then called me and asked me to get involved in their effort, which I've been involved in since then. I've helped them develop their own nursing from Care Compare, which had a different name then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just got involved in it and learned a lot and was very interested in it. So it wasn't a personal experience. It was just my... I, I feel very strongly about quality, which is very unusual for economists, I guess. Oh, that's a, uh, that is amazing! Always... Oh my gosh, we we got that here. Oh, I'm that was a, a moment I didn't expect, and I'm waiting for it. That was well, well said. Well, for when you said CMS, just for listeners who aren't involved enough in geriatrics, it's the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. That's a federal. That's the CMS is right. one way. Right. So for people to know that, right? They're the ones who pay for all the nursing home care, and they are also paying for, and they're the ones who are measuring the quality and publishing all the report cards. Yes. And if people are interested, it's not just report cards for nursing homes. Nursing homes has just been the very first and with all the new development and all the new, which then were developed in the five stars and which were then used in all the other quality report cards, but there's one for hospitals, for hospices, for home health, for health plans, like when you're looking for an HMO or managed care organization. So anything that people are interested in, they should just go to the web and type in care compare. There's one for physicians, so there are lots of them on the web. All right, that'll be included in the podcast summary, so people are reminded that's where they can dial into reputable settings for evaluation of yeah. quality of care. Well, you've ended at it, but I want to give you the last pass here and sort of encapsulating the sort of mega question is that are you seeing any promising trends, at least, let's say, increased awareness that can have its own cascading effect, that it could raise the level of care, that more consideration, that as boomers are aging, as people are more and more immediately involved in their elders' care, do you see that there are better trends ahead? Or you're talking about how with the kind of ownership models and the expensiveness of all of this, that it looks like some prospects are going to be in a decline. But what would your sort of general outlook be about where we're trending with nursing home care? Okay. One thing that we didn't talk about, and we're probably out of time, but uh, is that CMS in general, and not just for nursing homes, but they do it across the board, they are now, the thing is, one has to provide the right incentives for providers of medical care to improve quality. Yes. So it's not enough to just measure. The first thing they did, they measured it and they published it to provide market incentives, relying on competition. What they're doing now is what is called value-based payment, VBP, which means that CMS will actually use the payment that it pays to providers, be it nursing homes, home health, hospitals, etc., 
based on all these outcomes that we discussed before. Mm-hmm. So nursing homes that have better outcomes will actually be paid more than nursing homes that have worse outcomes. So not only are they relying on the market, on the demand to provide an incentive to nursing homes to improve their quality, but also providing higher payment to those nursing homes that have better quality. So they are increasing the incentive. Dr. Mokamel, are you... Are you confident that an enlightened administration of this program is involved so that it's genuine value? Or it could also be a sort of a shell game, but are you, you said it's new, but. I I think they do. I think they've actually, before they've implemented it uh, nationwide, they did an evaluation in nine states and they found it has reduced hospitalization and emergency room visits from nursing homes. Oh, score. Now, yeah. Now, you know, everything has on the one hand and on the other hand. So not everything got improved, but it's all going in the right direction. Okay. Now, there's also politics involved, and, you know, we are in a year full of politics, so we'll have to see what happens. Okay. We'll stay tuned with that. Well, Dr. Mokamel, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for your time on Ask a Leader today. I really appreciate your work and your time with us today. It was my pleasure, and I thank you for inviting me. My guest was Dr. Dana Mokamel, speaking today about her recent findings in the Health Services Research Journal, published December 2023, in collaboration with Heather Ladd, Deborah Saliba, and Tamara Konexka. Well, that's my wrap. Next week will be Sean Khalifa, who will be graduating from UC Systems Lifted Program for felons from the carceral system, sending them off to thriving lives. Thank you for listening, everyone. Talk with you next week. Tuck and onward, Helga. <laughs> <laughs>